0: We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every single week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we actually ended up getting a pretty good fight card on Saturday for the UFC on ABC. This one was over there in New York. Uh, Aside from the main event, which ended in somewhat disappointing fashion with an injury to Brian Ortega which, of course, we will talk about coming up in the show. But you ended up getting four stoppages and six fights on the main card of this thing. Uh, Lauren Murphy and Misha Tate was at least entertaining to watch. Shane Burgos and Charles Jordan had a, had a good fight. And then from there, it was all stoppages. You know, not to mention some fairly shocking stuff on the preliminary card with the first professional loss, I believe, for Jack Shore, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that strikes me the most, man, is that I I guess I should have trained my body by now to know that these ABC network television events start early. But it just has seemed like for so many years, the UFC was just, you know, bang, 8 p.m. in the one true time zone. That's when it happens. That's when the UFC is. Even though we have had this kind of like jumble jamble of start times over the last couple of years, I, I have this hard earned body clock programmed that that's when the UFC starts. And I I still can't leave that behind. I'm always surprised when I'm looking at the social medias and I'm like, oh shit, there's already fights happening.
1: Yeah. I, you know what? I had a moment of indignation. I will not lie to you. I was getting my stuff on, headed to the gym, and I looked at my phone as I was making sure I had the right podcast downloaded to get through my gym experience and saw people talking about, all right, fights getting underway. Here we go. And I went... Where do you get the right? Where do you <laughs> get off doing this? Just out of nowhere, and I was like, "Wait, are we in Singapore this week? Are we like... Uh, no, Long Island. Yeah, bucket Long Island, and you're gonna start that early? Mm-mm, mm-mm. The the chutzpah, Chad Dundas. I'll tell you what. The sometimes this sport is difficult to explain to your friends who don't follow it because especially after somebody asked me like, Oh, so how was that? You were watching those fights. How was, how was the, the main event you were excited about? And I was like, it's kind of disappointing, you know, dude's arm popped out and they're like, Psh, uh, I've heard you talk about that before. And it seems like that's an exciting thing that happens. And I'm like, yeah, but like there's a different kind of thing where a guy's arm popped out when it wasn't supposed to. Yeah. And then they're like, Oh, so the other guy wasn't doing anything to him. And I was like, well, no, I mean, he kind of, <laughs> he kind of was, But not that part of his arm. It wasn't supposed to do that to his arm. Our exact
0: criteria of when a guy's arm is supposed to pop did not occur during this. fight, And yet a guy's arm still pops. So you can Mm -hmm. see how that would be disappointing. And all your friends are looking at you like you're just a fucking psychopath.
1: Yeah. And it's one of those moments where I hear myself. I hear what (laughs) I sound like when I'm going, I wanted to see a guy's arm pop out, but not like that. And under those circumstances. And they're going... Well, okay, you know, I guess I'm glad you had a good time or I'm sorry that (laughs) happened. Either one, whatever is appropriate.
0: Uh, Well, obviously, we will talk more about the disappointing end of Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez as we move forward here. You're listening to the Co-Main Event podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME, if you nasty, and or like us on Facebook over at facebook.com slash Co-Main Event. This particular show drops every Monday afternoon for free and your timelines and your podcast libraries. But if you think we're having fun right now, You need to check out what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are over there party rocking with three additional podcasts every single week. You can check out the Wednesday live chat, hashtag wild on Wednesday, where we spend a full hour answering questions from the beloved patrons of the CME. We've also got the Friday power hour podcast, an additional hour of curated MMA talk, which features the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast patreon power hour power rankings and of course on thursday for the true heads for the top tier patrons our capital g girls and guys we got the uh doing the damn thing podcast that is the podcast where we talk about all of the non-mma related stuff we feel like might be of interest to you guys so check us out over there patreon.com slash co-main event we got three handy tiers of patronage that you can jump on board with we got music this week from our guys, Foreign Cash. Remember the word cash, C-A-C-H-E, an L.A.-based production duo. If you like what you hear from them on the show, you can check out more of their stuff over at foreigncash.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com slash Cash. Uh, three rounds, as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, well, that was a bummer. Brian Ortega's shoulder disintegrates on him, just as it seemed like we were getting ourselves into a fun little main event. Was he winning every minute of it before that? LOL, no. What happens now (laughs) at Featherweight? LOL, who knows? And in round number two, Dana White seems like he's a little bit tired of talking about Nate Diaz. But Nate Diaz appears to have no end to the stories he wants to tell. What on earth is going on right now between the UFC and Nathan Donald Diaz. And in round number three, you know what? UFC London actually looks pretty stacked. We break down what to expect when the Octagon journeys back to the O2 arena. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is brought to you by NordVPN. Ben, next week I'm going to be traveling with my family. We will be all over the Rocky Mountain West and you better believe I'm gonna be using NordVPN the whole time. Ben and I both have NordVPN, we use it, and for my money, it's the best way to protect your personal information in all ways while you're online, especially while you're traveling, going from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Nord VPN is among the fastest VPN out there. It's an encryption powerhouse, and I can personally attest that it's super easy to use on all your devices. Ben, tell the kids at home about the Nord Security Bundle.
1: Well, Chad, NordVPN has three easy options for how to use it. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra. And if you really want to go all the way with it, if you want to go the whole hog, you can get the complete plan, which will take care of your every need. Enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker. Generate and store strong passwords. Protect files in an encrypted cloud. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash Or use the code COMAIN to get one free bonus month and their exclusive 30-day money-back guarantee.
0: First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Clifford Smith Jr. Actually, we've got two pieces of listener mail we're going to read this week that are about the Lauren Murphy-Misha Tate fight. And despite the fact that Murphy versus Tate was the main card curtain jerker on Saturday, the first fight up on the main card, we probably got more mail about this fight than any other fight over the weekend. So we picked out two of them. Uh, We're going to answer both these questions about this fight, but we're going to do them separately. So this first one comes to us from Clifford Smith Jr.
1: Also known as Method Man.
0: The Method Man writes, can we just acknowledge that Misha (laughs) Tate is not just that good at this shit? I guess she was at one point, but after watching her wishfully attempt to recapture some reminisce of relevance,
1: that's not how you use that word. Uh, Are you going to question Method Man? No, like, I mean, Method no. Man doesn't know his way around a turn of phrase.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, you know what I noticed about uh, about the Method Man the other day? Especially What's the single. The, the You know, the first single that the Wu-Tang Clan put out was Protect Your Neck. And the B-side was Method Man. I had it on Kasingle. Found it in the uh, Sam Goody $1 Kasingle booth.
1: Yeah. Uh, and a so I bought bit. it.
0: Didn't know what it was. Took it home. Listened to it. Blew my fucking mind. Uh, that Method Man song, though, is that is solidly in the tradition of 90s rap songs where you're just saying non sequiturs that rhyme like that shit doesn't make any sense. It's just one thing after another that rhyme and that makes it okay for the Method Man to say it. That's that's
1: what strikes me because it's a song about the Method Man. And like he's basically saying this is the shit that I do now. Watch me do that shit. I
0: guess you're right. I guess you're right.
1: Anyway. Kind of in the 80s tradition of a rapper telling us what his name is and what he's here to say.
0: He, the method man digresses. Uh, <laughs> Misha Tate got outworked, outclassed, and just flat out at, outskilled in her last few fights. I was really hoping she would retire. Time for Misha to go. The game has passed her by. Please also ask her to take Michelle Watterson as well. Uh, so just a little a little hip check there at the end uh, yeah. for Michelle Watterson. Uh, so Lauren Murphy defeats Misha Tate. Via unanimous, unanimous decision a couple of 30 27s and 129 28 as we all know Misha Tate 35 years old now although ironically three years younger than Lauren Murphy in this fight she is one and four in her last five fights this whole comeback for Misha Tate ben she she retired from the from the game back in 2016 following a loss to raquel Pennington unanimous decision at UFC 205 she comes back in 2021. We have talked about the reasons why, and I think that they're very understandable for Misha Tate. She defeats Marion Renault via third-round TKO in her first fight back, but then she loses two in a row, Ketlin Vieira and Lauren Murphy, both by unanimous decision. This one, she had cut down to flyweight, believing that, She could be more competitive there. Maybe she was too small for the modern bantamweights. I don't know. She said that she would probably have been fighting at flyweight this whole time if they had had that division sort of back during her prime. But here she is at the lower weight class. Uh, And she kind of got worn around like a hat by Lauren Murphy for a lot of this fight. Lauren Murphy was the bigger, stronger, faster, better fighter here. Did you walk away from this one essentially feeling like Misha Tate, as the Method Man implies, uh, is done like dinner that the game has passed her by.
1: I mean, I think that's an especially harsh way to put it to say, just cause you can't beat Lauren Murphy that you suck and will never be any good again. And she quit because it's not like Lauren Murphy sucks. Like Lauren Murphy could go out there and beat some people in that division. So eh, I, I don't know. I, I will say, the hope that Misha Tate was just gonna change weight classes, get a clean slate, get one win over somebody we'd heard of before and be in a title shot now seems ridiculous. In in hindsight. Because it's true that she just didn't have much for Lauren Murphy there. And if you imagine putting that version of Misha Tate in there against uh the the champ, she's gonna get worked. You know, like it, it just because she still has that name left over, it's true that it's a little the a different sport now than the one she left and that maybe the impulse to leave when she did was the right one yeah that uh because it does seem like when you see her now she seems athletically just a little bit older and slower and not quite as dynamic as she used to be and it also seems like the 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 base level for Women in those divisions, whether it's bantamweight or flyweight, has gotten higher since she left or since basically she broke in uh, or when she was at her prime because she was from a completely different era of women's MMA. And there aren't too many of those people left anymore. And there's kind of a reason for it. But everybody has gotten better and everybody's gotten better across the board at all the all the things that they have to do. And so she comes in here as like, you know, a somewhat updated version of herself, but one that is just not like. She was getting by on athleticism at a time when there weren't as good athletes, it seemed, in the sport. And especially some of the stuff she was saying beforehand about like, hey, Lauren Murphy only got into this shit in like 2014. I've been doing it all my life. I I refuse to lose to her, as the, the broadcast team quoted her saying. And then you get in there and you realize like, well, okay, maybe there are times when I've been doing this all my life is a little bit of a hindrance rather than the reason why you cannot possibly be defeated by this person. Yeah,
0: and I think she felt like when she walked away in 2016 even if it was well-timed and maybe it wasn't on her own terms, there was a lot of stuff going on in her personal life and in her training camp that she felt like had uh, influenced her one way or another and she wanted to come back a few years later and see what she could get done in these two divisions and kind of do it on her own without having these uh, extraneous extracurricular forces at work in her career. And I think that that was her right. And we were happy to see her come back up to this point. It doesn't seem like things have really worked out for Misha Tate, Ketlin Vieira and Lauren Murphy back to back. Is certainly not an easy schedule. That's certainly not the UFC kind of taking it easy on you and getting you a few in the bag just to get a little win streak going. But at the same time, if you come back and you announce that the reason you're back is that you think you can still compete at the championship level, you can't expect to get easy fights. You're going to get the tough ones. And so she's dropped two in a row now. I know she put out a statement in the wake of this Lauren Murphy loss, I believe, uh, saying that she will soldier on. But uh, I, I kind of came away from this feeling like maybe we've seen the best from Misha Tate in the cage already. And I don't know what else she has left to prove out there. Remember, she was a multi-organizational champion. She was both the strike force and the UFC women's bantamweight champion. In both instances, she ended up being kind of a transitional champion to uh, the new new shit. Once it was, it was Ronda Rousey, and the next time it was Amanda Nunes. So uh, not too shabby, I guess. Nothing to hang your head about, I would say, to lose to those two people. But it seems like Misha Tate, I know that she is a competitor and it must be so frustrating to have this kind of stuff happen and to know when to walk away. You got to feel like you've still got it in you. Like you could still compete. You could still win some fights. But at the same time, she seems like a person who could be successful doing something else. And it might be that time, man. It might be 35 years old.
1: Yeah.
0: Let me lay this uh, just short excerpt on you patty cake patty cake hey the method man don't got... eat skippy Jiff, or peter pan peanut butter because i'm not butter in fact i snap back like a rubber band i be sam sam i am and i don't eat green eggs and ham style will hit you wham then goddamn you'll be like oh shit that's the jam
1: okay but you gotta say it like he said it. I mean it's he,
0: more about how it sounds than what he's actually saying, though, right? Yeah. Like this is just this is some wordplay. This actually doesn't mean anything. Also, does the method man really not eat peanut butter? Cause I don't know, man. That's, uh, that's
1: very a, serious peanut allergy. A lot a of choice. people don't know that about him. I guess that's a choice. He he'll he'll die if you even breathe peanut butter on him.
0: Next question this week comes to us from Fabian. Okay who writes, so after Misha Tate went out there looking old and slow against Laura Murphy, man, people were mean to Misha Tate in the listener mail this week. Uh, The prospect of a title challenger for Shevchenko at 125 is non-existent. She's either beaten everybody in the top of the rankings or nobody has ever heard of them. And often they are in the same Venn diagram is the only thing that makes sense now for Shevchenko to return to 135 for a title fight, especially if Pena wins again at the end of the month. What do you think, Ben? You have, you have long stood firm against the idea of another fight between Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko. But has Shevchenko so thoroughly cleaned out the division now that if there were a fight up there against Juliana Pena, obviously coming up at UFC, I believe it's UFC 277, uh, Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes are going to do it again, brother. Uh, but if Pena emerges with the title, would you be interested in a Valentina Shevchenko-Juliana Pena fight at 135 pounds?
1: Okay, well, first of all, before we get to that, one thing I did want to say that this question from Fabian reminds me of is that lest we go all in on talking about how Misha Tate looks old and slow, let's give some credit to Lauren Murphy for going out there and looking good. That was probably about as good as we've ever seen Lauren Murphy look like, honestly. And she took a tour. Just like she said, she was going to right from the get go, roughed her up, and was just in her face the entire time. And so it's not like Misha Tate just went out there and lost on her own. Lauren Murphy did a good job. Yeah. Now, do I, so when you hear her talking afterwards about how like she wasn't ready to be champ before and now she is, I mean, I still look at that and go, uh, I don't know if you if you fare too well against Valentina Shevchenko anymore. But like, she she did a good job. She did what she had to do here, and she that was like the best version of Lauren Murphy who beat Misha Tate like that. So give her some credit too. But I do think, first of all, Valentina might have some work still to do before we say she has cleaned out the division and there's nothing even to talk about it. Because she just had a uh, kind of a scare yeah. uh, against Tyler Santos. So that one, you you could conceivably do that one again. Uh, at least make her prove that she can really win that one. She looked very, very human in a way that we haven't seen her look at flyweight. So there's at least something to talk about there. But ex- oh, but if we weren't going to do that or if she did beat Tyler Santos again or, or whatever, I would soften my position on her going back up to bantamweight if uh, Juliana Pena won again and Amanda Nunes is no longer the champ and we're just moved on to the Juliana Pena era. Well, then sure. Then let's give Valentina Shevchuk because she just held it down for a long ass time and and a whole bunch of title defenses at fly away. Let her go up and and see if she can be a champ champ. And honestly, I'd kind of like her her chances against Juliana Pena a little better than I did against Amanda Nunes. It just seemed like she had dialed in and got her number there.
0: Yeah. Uh, Any interest in a rematch for Lauren Murphy, though, before Valentina Shevchenko treks up there? I think that, like, I agree. I feel like we need to see the Tyler Santos fight again. What of uh, Lauren Murphy's tale of woe about her, her intestinal infection that she had which actually seemed like pretty shitty and yeah. like you know, you compare that performance to what she was able to do against misha tate not that misha tate and valentina shevchenko are are comparable or on the same level at this point in their careers but like i don't know if lauren murphy really was ailing during that first shevchenko fight i wouldn't be totally mad at seeing her getting another shot
1: yeah um i mean it was definitely a tale of woe I think we all agree on that, and it's like it sounded pretty, pretty bad, and yet I have a hard time getting that excited for that one. You know, for for the for the possibility of another. One. I mean, I would think Lauren Murphy might have to beat somebody else and really beat them up, really make a statement until it seems like, you know, how it goes with some of those rematches where if it was one sided the first time, people aren't really talking about it. You sometimes you got to make it so that they really have no choice but to give you that fight that there's nobody else and because you have eliminated everybody else i think that might be the situation that laura murphy finds herself in
0: next question this week comes to us from tim clifton who writes Lamosh versus waterston all worked out well but should she have refused or released the sub before the ref acknowledged it We've all watched the recent fights, but I think the ref needs to call a halt there. Now, this was the co-main event. Amanda Lemos beats Michelle Waterson second round submission, snatched up kind of a standing guillotine choke and pulled guard into it. This was a weird one because the tap occurred on the opposite side of the body. You couldn't see it on the broadcast. And I believe it was Kevin McDonald was the referee. Like, he couldn't see it either. Uh, but Lemos lets it go as soon as Watterson taps and starts celebrating. And then they do the thing where you got to ask... Michelle Watterson, did you tap?
1: Wait, what a, what an ethics test that is, yeah. isn't it?
0: You got to say yes. Well, here's the thing at this point, man. We're living in a security surveillance state. <laughs> you can't full on tap the way Michelle Watterson tapped in this fight and then be like, nah, didn't tap. Because they do have an angle of it. Yeah, there It is on camera somewhere. And they are going to find that out. And even if it works for the moment. Even if something happens where Kevin McDonald is sell, it's like, okay, well, if you didn't tap, keep fighting then, which would be weird in and of itself. Uh, they're going to find out eventually, and then you will have to answer to that. And can you imagine, people are already making fun of Michelle Watterson all over the internets. And can you imagine if we found out later that she had lied about a tap? Oh, man, it would be it would be brutal. People would, yeah. be, People would not forgive or forget anytime soon.
1: And I remember remember the first Hoist Gracie-Ken Shamrock fight, where it's a similar thing, where Gracie gets him to tap, lets it go, and but the ref didn't see it. And then Hoist Gracie points at him and does the international face symbol for, tell the fucking truth, man. Don't you bullshit about this. And Ken Shamrock would be like, yeah, okay, I mean, I did. I did tap. And... But it's always got to be this moment where everybody's kind of looking at you, and you're like, "Hmm, "Could I? Could I maybe get away with one here? Could I? What do? What do? But like, you know, Michelle Watterson seems like the kind of person where, like, she is, she's too pure of heart. It's not even gonna really pass through her mind to think like, "Okay, let me just lie my way back into this fight." Yeah, she's not her.
0: She's a legitimately very nice person. Yeah. Uh, Next question this week comes to us from Tom Hughes, who writes the second round of Matt Schnell versus Sue Mudarji was spectacular. But you've got to admit that the referee made a mess of it. He should have stopped it after the standing elbows and then after Schnell's ground and pound. I know it led to an exciting fight, but in the long term, that can that can't have been good for either fighter. Uh, This was the fight of the night. These two guys get fifty thousand dollars extra. For this fight, flyweight bout, Matt Schnell ends up winning via technical submission, uh, where he chokes Sue Mudarji to uh, t- to sleep with a triangle choke. Uh, what do you make of this? That should the ref stop this fight? Like those were those were big impactful shots, and Matt Schnell was hurt, especially the series of standing elbows on the feet. Uh, but he was recovering and he was coming back, and then gets into the ground and pound, where again I think you had a situation where it was a. Uh, it was a near stoppage situation. You could have stopped it there, but of course uh, Mudarji re- reverses the position, and then immediately gets triangle choked for his troubles. But uh, I feel like we're 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 taking it one step too far in in our criticisms of the man in the black shirt. I feel like this was actually a, a fairly well officiated fight, if I do say so.
1: Who, who's it? Tom Hughes? Is this person? Who, this is who is saying that the referee made a mess of it. Uh, how dare you! How fucking dare you? You're going to come over here when we just saw the, the best round of the year by far, so far. Uh, you know, one of the best rounds, one of the best single rounds, probably in MMA history, right up there with like Paul Daly, Nick Diaz and stuff like that. And you're going to come away from that being like, mm, ref should have stopped it, man. Come on. The way you know that the ref did was right not to stop it was that the guy came back and won. That's all the. That's the only test that you need to pass. There. It's like when uh, with Brock Lesnar and Shane Carwin, where, okay, were there moments you could have reasonably stopped that fight? Sure, absolutely there were, but you didn't, and the guy survived and came back to win. So therefore, it wasn't a situation where we, we need you to intervene and save him. Must not have been because otherwise, how did the guy come back and win? And. Like that, the ref was taking close. Look, there was not like a sustained barrage. He kept getting hit with big isolated shots, you know, where you look at him and go, how'd you take that one and not immediately crumple? And then a few seconds later, taking another. It wasn't like a barrage where it's just he's just being hammered, defenseless, no answer for it whatsoever. It was one shot here. uh, A couple seconds go by another shot. That's the kind of situation where the ref is looking at it and going like, well, okay, show me you're still in it. I'm really close to stepping in, even if you're still on your feet and waving it off. But just when you get into the the real danger zone, that's when you manage to fire back and show you're still in it. And the end result proves that it was the right decision. Although, I mean, the, the question... I, I guess what I, I I understand what Tom Hughes is going at when he says I know it led to an exciting fight in the long term, but it can't have been good for either fighter. No, none of this is good for anybody. Like that that part, we should understand. Like when the guy is on there on the mic talking about it afterwards, and they're showing him the highlights, and he's like, I don't remember any of this. Yeah, no, that's not good for you. Getting hit in the head for a living is not good for you. None of this shit is good for you. But if we're gonna do it anyway, this was a, a fine display of it. Like, I'm not saying it was good for him. I'm not saying that the, the beating either guy took is going to do him any favors. But that is the business that we are in. So let's not kid ourselves about that.
0: Tom Hughes, by the way, beloved patron of the podcast and one of the moderators over on the official Co-Main Event Podcast Discord How channel. dare you, Tom? So, How dare you? Uh, I'll go ahead and apologize to him on your behalf
1: over there. You son of a well, bitch, Tom.
0: Last question this week comes to us from Marcus Bontempelli. Who writes, I just finished watching the Burgos-Jordan fight and took note of the exact exasperation expressed by DC trying to reconcile the judging criteria with the scorecards we got. Even after all the recent clarification apparently given to commentators, we are still no closer to knowing how the criteria is actually supposed to work. So why not just do away with it altogether? I think we're at a point now where we can instinctively tell when grappling is important when strikes are impactful and when a fighter just plain wins a fight plus I'm not sure that a complicated set of criteria really lends itself to a scoring system as plain as giving a 10 or a 9 without the need to explain why if nothing else simply stating that this fighter won because come on y'all saw it would be less frustrating than what we have now <laughs> what do you think Ben should we just do away with the judging criteria should we get ourselves into uh, more situations than not when we're like come on we all know who won this shit we watched it
1: <laughs> that's the pride style right isn't that basically what they were doing in pride is just some judges sitting there with their arms folded over their chests until it was all over and then looking at each other and be like what do you think vanderley okay yeah Vanderlay won that one and there we go the you pride
0: know? style first criteria of the judging in pride was who do we want to win that was the first thing you scored in pride and after that it was a toss-up after that it was just a uh, it was a grab bag
1: Well, I like how they actually did have in the pride scoring criteria because they're pride and they might do some crazy shit with matchups that if you were given up like more than 40 pounds or something to your opponent, we'd score it a little more in your favor just because, hey, we understand you fighting a guy way bigger than you are. And uh, we're going to account for that. But yeah, I mean, I could. There's always going to be these kinds of situations and fights where it's like one guy has a. few big moments like even just a couple big moments and the other guy has the rest of the fight and none of his moments in the rest of the fight seem as big or impactful but they are numerous like there's always going to be a a conflict in how we want to score those and yet at the same time when i see them standing there together to await the decision it seems like they both kind of know what way it's going, right? Like it doesn't yeah. seem like they, like either one of them are really shocked.
0: Yeah. I think the secret is, the sad truth of it, the dirty secret is that we're already scoring the fight according to who we think won cuz we all just watched it, <laughs> right? Like isn't that really what we're actually doing even though we've got all this detailed scoring criteria and stuff? Like we're all we we all watched it. We know who won, and that's how we're mm-hmm. going to score it. Yeah. Isn't that what we're kind of already doing? I mean, I yeah. agree wholeheartedly that the 10 9 is kind of a blunt instrument to score an MMA fight by, and some of this detailed judging criteria maybe doesn't jive too much with the 10 9 system, and maybe we've swung back a little bit too far in the opposite direction to uh, undermine grappling and, and control and things like that. Uh but I don't know. I feel like uh like we're already doing this. Like we all yeah. we know who won. We're gonna score it that way. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you've got a question, comment or concern for the Co-Main Event podcast, you know how to get a hold of us. You go to the website co-mainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number 1. One of this podcast this week is sponsored by BetterHelp. Ben, uh, we live in unsettling times. Man, life is full of twists and turns, and it's important to show up for yourself through it all. BetterHelp online therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than forty-eight hours. I know it works because I've used BetterHelp myself a couple years ago during the very height of the pandemic. My anxiety was off the charts, man. I needed some help with it, and uh, I reached out to BetterHelp. They connected me with a therapist right here in Montana. I'd never done anything like that before, so I was nervous about it, but it turned out to be great. Uh, She helped me process a lot of the stuff that I was dealing with and helped me get my mind and my life back on track. So this BetterHelp is a thing I can personally vouch for.
1: That's right, Jed. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online, available to people worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't have to be on camera if you don't want to. And getting therapy every week is as easy as a few clicks on your laptop or phone. And they have a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash comain. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com.
0: Well, Ben, uh, we jinxed it, man, after spending a lot of time last week talking about how Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez in the main event of this UFC on ABC uh, card was a surefire, exciting bout. It was almost certainly going to be a crowd pleaser. It ends in the first round with an injury to Ortega, a dislocated shoulder that he himself said might mean yet another surgery. Uh, Let me ask you this as we start off. You were talking about this at the top of the show. We see these freak injuries sometimes in this sport, right? Uh, We've seen a lot of kind of fluky, almost non-contact injuries in the cage before. We just saw Junior Dos Santos in Eagle FC a few months ago throw out his own shoulder while throwing a punch. In this particular instance, does it seem any less fluky to you? Or any more meaningful of a stoppage, that Ortega suffered this injury while he was trying to defend an armbar attempt from Yair Rodriguez. He like he popped his shoulder trying to pull his arm out of of Yair Rodriguez's armbar attempt.
1: Yeah, that's what makes it tricky because Yair Rodriguez was trying to do something to his arm. It just it wasn't trying to do exactly that to his arm. So it's not like Yair Rodriguez didn't do anything to him, and he just hurt himself. He was doing something. Brian Ortega was trying to get out of that something. And then his shoulder goes. It, yeah. it kind of reminded me of, remember when this, a similar thing happened in uh, in a pride fight with Josh Barnett and Crow Cop. And afterwards, I remember Josh Barnett had a, a sweet line in an interview because he was talking about like, uh oh, you know, like my arm just went out. And Crow Cop had said something like, oh, no, this is an old Croatian martial arts hold. That's what I was doing. He just wasn't ready for it. And somebody asked Josh Barnett about that, and he was like, well, I think he's smoking some special uh, Croatian stuff, uh, if that's what he believes. And yet, it's like, we we already struggle what to make of a fight where a guy wins by the other guy just slipping on a banana peel, Yeah, which can happen. And this was not exactly that. This was, you are trying to do something to the guy, and and him trying to get out of it, he gets hurt. And then it's over. So I think you got to say that's Yair Rodriguez's win. He gets to advance and move on. I mean, I still think that if, if those guys could be allowed to settle it, fight it all the way through to the finish, you'd get a good fight. It was shaping up to be a pretty good fight there. But I also think Brian Ortega's is probably going to be out a while. Yair Rodriguez is going to want to move on to whatever is next as a result of, of this fight. And I think you got to just say he won that. Yeah. He won that. Let him have that win. Let him move on. Um. Brian Ortega telling himself he won every moment of the fight up until that makes me, it makes me a little curious (laughs) because he was getting laced up, honestly, for a good portion Um, of the early going.
0: Brian Ortega comes out very aggressive, trying to walk Yair Rodriguez down in this fight, trying to put as much pressure on Rodriguez as I think he he could and he managed to work his way into some clinching situations uh and eventually got Rodriguez down leading up to that injury but man he was also getting tagged as you mentioned it seemed like he was getting hit by everything like yeah. he, he was getting hit by jabs he was getting hit by crosses i think there was some front kicks in there might have been a knee or two like He was just basically and a couple of them were very hard. A commentary even remarked on Brian Ortega's chin because he got just laced by a couple of these punches from Yair
1: Rodriguez. They didn't seem to phase him,
0: but I also don't think he was winning that part of the fight. No, Uh,
1: no. It's when the thing the commentary is praising you for in round one is your chin. That's a sign that you were probably not winning. You you were probably not doing that well if the best thing we can find to talk about is how you can really take a punch because it means you're taking them and he yeah. was like he got hit with a straight like a sharp straight right hand and he he no sold it like it was nothing but that that thing that was a hard shot and right away you know Yeah Rodriguez was landing some of those he was get he was getting loose uh, and then Brian Ortega got a takedown when he needed it yeah
0: uh, Brian Ortega already. A veteran of multiple shoulder surgeries. And so you don't like to see this kind of an injury for a guy like that, uh, who is only 31. And and over the last couple of years, despite losses to Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky, it kind of felt like Brian Ortega was starting to get some stuff figured out in his training. He was starting to round out his game a little bit. He was, we were starting to get a fuller picture, I think, of what Brian Ortega, the finished mixed martial artist, would look like. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I think he's on the verge of being the 145-pound champion or anything like that. But like Brian Ortega was making strides. I don't think you can uh, object to that too much. So it's rough to see him have this injury, which he himself, as he's standing in the cage, says, "I don't know if this is." gonna require surgery, especially since this guy's had a couple surgeries on the wings already. So who knows what Brian Ortega's future might hold at this point. But I agree with you. I think for that reason and the reason that, you know, this isn't this wasn't a fluke injury that happened out in the middle of the cage while nobody was was touching each other. I think you yeah. do you do gotta chalk this one up for Yair Rodriguez and let him move on uh you know into the this contender status as if he did in fact, when this when this fight legitimately, he would be uh 3-2 and 1 in his last 6. He also lost to Max Holloway uh in November of 2021 by unanimous decision and of course he got stopped by uh Frankie Edgar back in 2017 as well. But other than that and that kind of protracted feud with Jeremy Stevens which took up a lot of our time a couple of years ago, but Yair Rodriguez has been pretty pretty good, man. Whenever we've seen him, uh, he had some back and forth with the UFC, some falling outs that kind of made it seem like his future, maybe in the promotion, was in jeopardy. But now I guess the question is, what do you do here? You got Yair Rodriguez, who, if nothing else, is a notable face, a popular guy, somebody people have heard of before, and now could be knocking on the door of Alexander Volkanovsky. You've also got Josh Emmett hanging around with yeah. a nice little win streak and his uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan style manager, Uriah Faber, is also out here <laughs> calling for his title shot. Dana White seemed kind of... It was one of those situations at the post, post-fight post press conference where Dana White was kind of like, Josh Emmett said, what? And what did Uriah Faber say? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, everyone wants their guy to get a title shot, right? Like, that was pretty much Dana White's comment on the thing, uh, revealing to White you that even read he hasn't elbow? really been what the paying hell? attention. Yeah. yeah. So, uh... I don't know. What do we do here? Does Yair Rodriguez, just based on popularity alone, kind of coast into a title fight against Volkanovski, knowing that uh, this win over Brian Ortega was a bit of a shaky one?
1: Well, I mean, you look at where he is in the rankings right now. Like I'm looking at the UFC's rankings, right? You got Volkanovski as champion. Uh, Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett are both listed as number three, which I'm just going to say, that's not how rankings work. (laughs) <laughs> we, that's not that's not what we're supposed to be doing here can't both be number three but all right and the only people ahead of them in the rankings are at number two brian ortega and this is before, prior to the the updates that we usually get whether they usually update it like tuesday after the fight week and then ahead of brian ortega at number one max holloway and so you know both those guys are out of the running for different reasons uh so i i've heard throwing around this idea that like okay since Volkanovsky is gonna probably have to have surgery on his hand might be out a little while then we're gonna do an interim bout between Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett and it's just like that's one where I could wish we could just say what we're really doing which is it's sort of a placeholder, number one contender, see who gets to face Volkanovsky when he comes back. Can we just say that? Yeah. We can put it as a main event, so it's five rounds. We can pay them more money if you want to pay them more money. Like, already, you know that whatever you're paying them, they deserve more money. So, shit, go ahead and do that. But having them fight for an interim title just seems weak. Seems weak sauce, bro. And also seems like some shit the UFC would totally do.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the number one contender belt. Is what that yeah. is. That's not. That's, that's the not token
1: the, you that can be redeemed for a title shot when the champion returns. That's the number one contender bell, bro. Uh
0: All right. Let's do. Are you fucking kidding me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, what's your. Are you fucking kidding me this week?
1: Well, Jen, I know you saw this video that Jake Paul posted to Twitter today. Yeah, I did.
0: I, I saw. Uh. I watched this video and I was like, that's a that's an are you fucking kidding me? Tap in right there. That's a gimme putt for are you fucking kidding me?
1: <sighs> Chad, this fucking guy. I click on this video where it's first of all, my, my suspicions are aroused <laughs> that maybe he is not in a legitimate hospital just because, you know. I'm like Jake Paul. If he is going to go to a hospital, can probably afford a pretty high standard of yeah. care. This and we look seem like
0: Cedar Sinai to <laughs> me. This,
1: we seem to basically be a guy on a gurney uh, in front of a a, a shower curtain, essentially. I don't know if this is legit, but he's playing it straight for the first few seconds where he's saying, ah, guys, I'm in the hospital, I had an accident, I'm still going to be able to fight. My, my suspicions were further aroused when he was like, don't worry, I'm still going to be able to fight on August 6th. And he's like saying it through the pain, like, ah, so make sure you get your tickets at MSG.com. And I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> and then when he tells you that the injury is that he broke his back carrying the promotion for all these fights because his (laughs) opponents never sell shit and he's sitting up yelling at the camera about his opponent opponents couldn't sell pens to a writer meanwhile we got somebody cosplaying as a nurse asking if he wants mouth to mouth and i'm going this fucking guy i'm waiting for stone cold to come in with a bedpan and knock him on the head with it this is some prime fucking late 90s wwe shit and yet he made me fucking enjoy it. Yeah. He sucked me in. He, he got me to LOL at it. Are you fucking kidding me? This guy, this fucking guy, Chad, he just don't stop with this shit. He, you, you, you give him garbage and he's going to find a way to make it into a weirdly interesting art sculpture. Are you fucking kidding me with this Jake Paul shit? I hate when I made to LOL against my will and he did it. He fucking did it to me.
0: Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. I too lol I have to say, I didn't know that you were so aroused by this video, suspicionally. Uh but
1: still. <laughs> man. Like I don't think I don't know if that's really that, is that a real hospital gown? I don't why is the room so small? And drab. It's very drab. Nice for a very hospital drab room. Hospital. Uh Ben, you know I'm
0: a an advocate of professionalism.
1: Ugh, always.
0: Especially as it pertains to mixed martial arts, I feel like sometimes we could class up the broadcast a little bit. We could make it look better. We could make it feel better. But I don't think we should make the UFC broadcast team wear those ABC blazers, man. I don't think we should make them wear those tan blazers sitting over there looking like a bunch of used car salesmen (laughs) at cage side every time we see them in the background of the fights. We already tried to make Joe Rogan wear a tie. Yeah, and that should have been the first cool. Like, we can't class this up, man. You can't Felt wrong. You yeah. can't fucking, uh, you know, b- b- dust up a turd that much. It's just it is what it is, man. You put Daniel Cormier, who allowed to dress himself, always looks resplendent. Like this is a guy who always looks good in his own blazer combination with the pocket square. Ah, oh, man, you put him out there in the the camel colored ABC blazer, and it looks like he's about to turn to the camera and start shouting at us about how crazy the deals are down at <laughs> Daniel Cormier's used car lot. Are you fucking kidding me? Don't do this. Don't make them you do saw this. What they were just going let them for wear though, let them let right? them all wear black shirts without ties like they want to do and just let them go for it. Don't make them wear the the uh the Doug Collins uh you know uh Troy Aikman ABC blazer that doesn't that just doesn't work around here, man. You,
1: you know what I, I did enjoy though was that the person who seemed most into it was sports broadcasting nerd of a certain age, John Anik. Yeah, who was just like, "Oh hell yes, this he is probably like his a childhood idea. dream like, come true."
0: We got to wear the blazers, and you know what? It's the only it's, Anik's the only guy it works on. I'd
1: like to think that they, they they got a message. They're like, John Annick isn't coming out of his trailer for this ABC shit unless you bring him one of the Blazers. <laughs> and then they're like, well, shit, then we've got to get one for everybody. Okay, I, fine.
0: I bought a 91 Yugo from Daniel Cormier at a real reasonable <laughs> price last weekend. That's all I know. That's going to do it for uh, round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
1: Chad, Dana White is not going to play this game. This game you guys want to play where you show up to a press conference, ask him some questions about what is going on with one of the UFC's more prominent fighters who has been very vocal about his contract dispute with the organization. He then answers some of those questions. And then you ask him some follow-ups to get him to clarify exactly what he is saying. Oh, no. Oh, no. You're not going to get him to play that game wherein he has to say something and then stand by whether or not that something is true. Mm Mm-mm. Too savvy. Too savvy. Too too clever and sly a fox is old Dana White. Not going to play that game. And if you think, oh, the UFC is holding Nate Diaz uh, uh, hostage. Hey, here's Dana White's quote. When isn't Nate Diaz saying something crazy? I'll, I've said this a million times. I'll say it again. We can't hold guys hostage. It's not possible. I owe you three fights a year. If I don't fight you three times a year, I have to pay you. How could I hold him hostage? Now, it seems like Dana White wanted to talk about this right up until he was going to have to actually provide some real clarity on what is going on with Nate Diaz, And then that's that's when it was a game he wasn't going to play. Yeah which seemed like a a weird yet telling reaction because it kind of seems like what we get to is an admission by omission that what you are actually have been doing when you say like, Hey, we've been offering Nate Diaz fights is that you've been offering him fights with the contract extension. When it's very clear, what he is saying is I want the last fight, give it to me and let me get out. And the UFC is not really necessarily offering. That is what, what Nate Diaz has been saying. And then Dana White's reluctance to really just provide total clarity on what has been going on makes it seem like that is probably the case, right?
0: Yeah. Like this is some, this is a classic Dana White demeanor situation where he is happy to talk about this until his glib, like deflective answer does not suffice. And then he's going to get confrontational about it once you actually start trying to get him to talk about anything specific. It's also interesting to say we can't hold guys hostage because a good bit of UFC history is actually punctuated, typified, you might say, by cases where individual fighters did in fact feel as though they were being held hostage. They wanted to leave to go do other stuff and they couldn't. So maybe that doesn't meet Dana White's definition of a hostage situation, but some fighters certainly feel like they're being held hostage. I think if you asked Nate Diaz himself right now, he might tell you that he was being held hostage or he felt like he was being held hostage. You also had uh, Nate Diaz come out after this and say he's been offered zero fights.
1: Yeah, in the last nine months. He says, uh, Dana said Francis Ngannou was injured and couldn't fight right now. Uh, editorial note, LOL. Uh don't know why you're so confused in the interview. In the last nine months, I've been offered zero fights and I asked for five legitimate opponents. So, and the, the stuff they're always saying, like, I got to fight you three times a year. I don't, I don't know what Nate Diaz's contract says, but I don't know if that actually is in most people's UFC contract. Like I've heard matchmakers say before, you know, if we go six months without offering you a fight, then we risk speaking in breach of contract. I don't know. But he's saying it's been nine months and they have not offered me any fights. And that it it seems like what clearly what the UFC wants to do is to keep Nate Diaz and to. make another fight contingent on him signing a new deal, which has been standard UFC practice, especially with these bigger name guys that it wants to keep for a long time. And if people don't play along with that, then that's when we get into these long played out situations. Now I saw Mark Raymondi writing on ESPN today. It's talking about how it seems like maybe Nate Diaz's deal, if he doesn't have another fight, will just expire in the fall, like November or around then. And then maybe that he's just waiting it out. Um, but to get up there and to kind of act like, Oh, we owe him a fight. We're going to give him a fight. Like, it seems like Dana White's been saying that for months now. Right. Yeah. And then Nate Diaz is saying, give me the fight. I have not been given the fight. And especially for, for Dana White to play it like, Hey, when isn't Nate Diaz saying something crazy? You don't exactly have a stellar reputation for, for being crystal clear, honest with everybody yourself. Yeah. Like, we could we could both turn around and play those games, you know?
0: Yeah, and then Francis Ngannou comes out and like uh, seems to corroborate part of what Nate Diaz is saying by saying that the UFC didn't offer him the correctly contractually obligated number of fights that he needed to be offered over a certain period of time. It also is a long-standing UFC business practice to offer guys shitty fights, right? Like, that's one of the things that uh, Joe Silva really made famous was in in these critical like either contract negotiations or points in people's careers they would offer you a shitty fight that you didn't want to take and they knew you didn't want to take it and they knew you would say no but that's the fight that's that's the uh that's they've, they've taken care of their contractually obligated duty to offer you a fight if they do that. And I think we know that they were doing that with Nate Diaz and Kamzat Chimaev, right? That was one that was rumored a long time ago. Of course, Nate Diaz isn't going to fight fucking Kamsat Chimaev on the last fight of his UFC deal, man. Of course, he's not going to take that fight. But that's the one the UFC allegedly offered him. And that's, you know, that probably takes care of their stipulation. The overall question, though, which we talked about on Friday during the power hour over on the Patreon page. And I don't know if our answers have changed since then, but I'm gonna pose it again. Ben Folks, why? Why do this with Nate Diaz? We have already seen the UFC cut loose a bunch of these aging veterans that aren't uh, that... There isn't that much utility to keep them around in the UFC, these guys that you would probably have to pay more money than you want to if you're the UFC. Why do this with 37-year-old Nate Diaz when, as we have already pointed out, to lose Nate Diaz or any other of these guys at this point doesn't hurt the UFC's business model at all. It doesn't yeah. affect a pay-per-view. It doesn't uh cause you to get fewer buys. It isn't gonna be, it isn't gonna mean anything to your bottom line. Why do this with this guy? If he wants to go, let him go. He's gonna go probably get beat by Jake Paul in a boxing match and then never fight again. Just let him go. I don't understand why we're doing this.
1: I I stand by my explanation, my guess at the reasoning, which is if there's a chance you can make that Conor McGregor childry and make a whole bunch of money, they want to do it because they do think, and, and probably rightly so that it would make a whole bunch of money. And mostly there is no real downside because what are you going to do? Is Nate Diaz going to take you to court over a breach of contract shit? Probably not. Probably not going to want to spend the time and his own money to do that. And then it'll take forever anyway. So you know that you have that advantage and The only real downside so far is this shit that Dana White has to show up every once in a while at a press conference after an event that had nothing to do with Nate Diaz and spend some time talking about it with media people until he gets mad and says he's not going to play this game anymore. And then they let him go. And that that's really the only downside. That's the only chance of them being held to account for any of it is that the, the media just asks you about it enough that it becomes an annoyance and you go fucking fine. Let the guy go box Jake Paul, whatever. Because you're right. Like, otherwise, when you look at Nate Dia- Like, if if Francis Ngannou wasn't somebody you were willing to really shell out to keep, then why is Nate Diaz at this point in his life and career somebody that you will keep? Especially when you think about, what remember what the line was on Francis Ngannou? It was, hey, we want guys that want to be in business with us. You don't want to be here? Fine. That was the shit that we were talking back then. Now, Nate Diaz has telling everybody and they mama, Jad, that he does not want to be here. He wants you to give him that last fight and let him peace out. He has been very clear on this point. So, what are we doing? If he doesn't want to be there. Give him the last fight. Let him go. You're right. It's not going to affect the UFC's bottom line at all, really.
0: I mean, yeah, this seems like a thing that I could understand if the UFC did it like ten years ago, where you're like, stop trying to stop the guy from go to going to force or trying to stop mm-hmm. the guy from going to Bellator or whatever. Now it doesn't fucking matter, man doesn't matter. You're still going to get the same money from ESPN. You're still going to get the same money for all your pay-per-views. You're still going to make even more money in your next uh, broadcast rights renegotiation. You're still going to make more and more money all the time for international broadcast rights. The fact that Nate Diaz goes and fights somebody on Showtime or even goes to BKFC or whatever, like wouldn't matter in the slightest bit to the UFC. And I just, all of this back and forth and running around from the UFC and Nate Diaz it Just makes no sense. It just makes no sense to him. And you're
1: yeah, right. It's there almost is... like they're greedy or something. I don't get it. <laughs>
0: there is no downside except you look like dicks.
1: I guess that. no when... downside except occasionally you have to show up and talk about it. Yeah.
0: Alright, that's gonna do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben Folk's coming up this Saturday, July 23rd. The UFC treks across the pond again. The O2 Arena in London, England is the spot. Curtis Blades making the trip for the heavyweight main event. He will take on the young up-and-comer Tom Aspinall in uh, the featured fight on this card. And I got to say, for a mere fight night, this actually is a pretty stacked card, despite the fact that we recently lost uh, Darren Till out of his fight with Jack Hermanson. Darren Till has been replaced uh, by Chris Curtis, in what is still listed as the middleweight co-main event, but you also got Patty Pimblett on this f- thing fighting uh, CME uh, official Capital G guy Jordan Levitt. You got Nikita Krilov and Alexander Gustafson squaring off at light heavyweight. I believe that's Gustafson's return to 205 pounds. You got Molly McCann and Hannah Goldie on this thing because I don't think I don't think you can legally book a fight for Patty Pimblett and not have Molly McCann also on yeah. the same card. And then of course kicking things off. The Secret of the Ooze, Vulcan Oozdemir, going to go out there and fight Paul Craig again in a light heavyweight fight to say nothing of a bunch of uh, preliminaries with recognizable names scheduled for this thing. But like as fight nights go, this one relatively star studded, I have to say.
1: Yeah. And this one, take note, preliminaries starting, I believe, here at 9 a.m. here in the One True now, Time Zone. My body clock. What of my body clock Ben folks? But this one will make sense because you'll hear like, oh, shit, fight starting at 9 a.m. And then you, you click on, you see like, oh, okay, we're over there on the other side of the ocean. Makes sense. Makes sense that that one would start early. They're not going to like me have me tune in and see we're just in Long Island and decided to start early. But you're right. I mean, I look at this one kind of up and down. I get kind of excited. But I mean, right off the bat, when I see, oh, what's the, the kicking us off on the main card? It's Paul Craig versus the secret of the ooze, Vulcan Ozdemir. Okay. Yeah. Fuck yeah. You know, I if Paul Craig is going to be there, so am I. Just so I hope that he he loses the entire fight, pulls off a submission at the end, then gets on the mic and I understand none of what he says and but I enjoy it thoroughly anyway. Yeah. Like that's my whole shit. Yeah. Right there.
0: Yeah. Uh not to mention the rare like actually interesting heavyweight contender bout here Curtis Blades who somehow is only 31 years old
1: no that's not the fact true
0: that he's been fighting in the UFC since we all were children uh he is 6 and 1 in his last 7 the only loss that KO to Derek Lewis back in February of 2021 Tom Aspinall undefeated in the UFC he's the 29 year old up and comer going to probably get a nice home country ovation there in uh the O2 as a as a native of Manchester uh, he is undefeated in the UFC. He's won five fights there, has an eight-fight win streak overall in his career. Most recently, he beat Alexander Volkov, Sergei Spivak, and Andre Arlovsky his most recent three fights. So this is one uh, where, despite the fact that we have a little bit of a cloudy situation around the heavyweight title, we don't know what Francis Ngannou's future with the UFC will be. Uh, all of a sudden, people have started talking like John Jones and Francis Ngannou is a serious thing that might actually happen uh months after we thought that that idea was dead and we thought Francis Ngannou was going to leave now Ngannou comes out and has this tweet regarding Nate Diaz saying hey the UFC did not offer me my fights either which again just another piece of evidence that perhaps he is planning to exit the organization and go do do something else but uh we have Stipe Miocic, we have John Jones, could fight for an interim title. But uh, Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall is an interesting one for someone who could potentially shape up as something that looks like a number one contender in the wake of this fight.
1: Yeah, and this is actually a test that makes sense at this time for Tom Aspinall. It's a pretty, like, uh, solid build that we've been doing with him, where, you know, he fought Andrei Orlovsky, and it was, okay, there's a guy where the, the name has sort of outlived the man's ability. But still, you go out there, you beat him up, you, and you can say you beat up former UFC heavyweight champ uh, Andrei Arlovski. And then after that, you get Sergei Spivek, where it's like, okay, here, here's just, you know, one of the tough-ass dudes at heavyweight, but who is not altogether all that skilled all the way around. Um, but then you get Alexander Volkov, where it's like, okay, this is a guy who's been sort of edging into gatekeeper territory a little bit, but he could beat you a big guy. And if you're not ready for that level of competition, he can find it out. Uh, and Aspinall just fucking rolled through him like it was nothing. And now you get Curtis Blades, who is just sort of a heavyweight spoiler and has been for a little while with the UFC where it's like, you know, he, he can't quite beat the absolute top guys. But if he detects somebody is weak in their wrestling department, he is going to go in there and expose that. He's just a, a solid experienced competitor at this point. And if you aren't really good, Curse Blades probably beat you. And so testing out that aspect of Tom Aspinall, like, okay, we know he's a big guy, athletic for a heavyweight, got some submissions, can hurt you on the feet, all that kind of stuff. Can he deal with hard-nosed-ass wrestler who comes in to do his shit and also can hit you pretty hard when he gets an opportunity to? If you beat that guy, then you are a for-real dude in this division. And if you don't, then... You're a dude we can get excited about it occasionally, every once in a while for a fight night, you know.
0: Yeah, uh, that would be incredibly meaningful, I think, for Tom Aspinall to beat Curtis Blades. That would be a huge win for him, uh, this young in his career. It should be noted, Aspinall going off as just a slight favorite at the moment, minus one thirty. You can get Curtis Blades at plus one ten right now over at the DraftKings sports book, which is uh, a little bit eye opening to me, I will say. uh, doesn't it kind of feel like Patty Pimblant and Molly McCann are like a, they're like a spin-off show of, of, uh, Sage and Paige. <laughs> it's be like, Hey, what if, uh, what if, yeah, Sage- like when they do
1: like Jersey shore, but it's like some, like, it's like Cornwall or whatever, you know, like the, the British version.
0: Yeah. yeah. It was like the writers were like, what are we going to do now with Sage and Paige? Be like, well, what if they got super into partying? So now we got this spin-off <laughs> show about Patty and they had
1: accents. And, yeah. Uh,
0: and Molly McCann, it just sure, sure feels like they have picked up the, uh, I guess you would say, and I don't mean this as an insult, but the UFC mascot uh, role was like every time you turn around, here's these kids having a blast out there in the crowd, uh, you know, looking like they've had a couple soda pops. And now here we mm-hmm. go, firing them up in London. It just seems like they are the new, is, it, is there a better word than mascot? It's just like they're the new kind of uh, scene stirs, like are personalities okay. out here.
1: Yeah, scene is the right way to put it. Um, but... <laughs> Patty Pimlett and Jordan Levitt. I I expect I, I here's where you can never quite tell how much is popularity, how much like how much has money already come in and, and moved a line a little bit, because I think Jordan Levitt could very easily go out there and beat Patty Pimlett. Like Patty Pimlet is a guy who fun to watch, exciting, all that stuff. He he will give some people some openings. Yeah. In these fights, now. Jordan Levitt has already talked about his plan to beat Patty Pimlet, pop a dance move, pop it, lock it, or whatever we want to do out there, and just drive people absolutely insane with rage. I could kind of see that happening, all of it, yeah, like, from, from from very beginning to the to the final rage step. Yeah, I could I could picture that shit happening in my mind brain.
0: I mean, look, so a we, bit- we said it when this fight was announced, they don't they don't call you to fight Patty Pimlet right now because they think you're going to beat him. They don't call, they don't put Jordan Levitt out there because the UFC is super stoked about getting into the Jordan Levitt business. Yeah, I remember uh, what he said
1: when he, when he was like, when he got the call and he was like, oh yeah, sure. And then like, hey, wait a minute.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, you're right. Patty Pimlet's been kind of, he's been scraping by a little bit, I think. And he clearly has some uh, stylistic deficiencies that someone is going to come along and exploit. And if that can be Jordan Levitt, so be it. Uh, Jordan Levitt seems like a, a wonderful guy, great human being has a book blog, maybe the only fighter on the UFC roster right now who of his own accord will get on the internet and talk, tell you about the books he's been reading. Mm
1: -hmm. So you
0: can see why the uh, co-main event podcast likes him. And uh, that'll be one I'm watching, but like that's, you know, they call you to fight Patty Pimblett. It's not because they're thinking about putting Jordan Levitt's name and
1: on the Goodyear
0: blimp over the O2 arena.
1: Yeah. And, but then when you watch how Patty Pimblett fights, you're like, this guy could lose any fight. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like just the way it's, it's exciting to watch, but it's also just sort of wide open and there are giant ass holes big enough to drive a truck through and you're going to fuck around one of these. Like, like that's not a guy who's fighting like he's got to win them all. Yeah. You know, which yeah.
0: hey, <laughs> we, he probably we, doesn't honestly.
1: Yeah. And we, we appreciate having a scene stir like that around.
0: <laughs>
1: and yet if you're Jordan Levitt, here's where you sense opportunity you know, opportunity to do your stuff up to and including the post fight twerk. You know, you love to see it.
0: All right. Uh, let's do, I'm just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, Ben, what's your just saying stuff this week?
1: Well, I don't know if you heard this chat, but, uh, supposedly the word is according to Ali, Abdelaziz, not always the most reliable narrator is that Frankie Edgar has said that, uh, He wants the final fight of his career to be at Madison Square Garden when the UFC comes back there for UFC 281. Uh, That, hey, give me that one. And, you know, sort of a home game for Frankie Edgar. A chance to say goodbye at the granddaddy of them all at MSG. And that'll be it for for Frankie Edgar. And that uh, this is I'm reading the tweet here from Aaron Bronsetter uh, says that has told him that he will face whoever the promotion puts in front of him. Uh, but his preference is that the b- fight takes place at bantamweight. So this week, Chad, I'm just saying, you know what they usually will do? You know what they have often done in a situation like this, where you're losing one guy with a name, he's telling you this is it, and he wants to go out, is to feed him to some young monster. Yeah. Just to, to serve the future of the business. I'm just saying, what if we didn't do that here? <laughs> I'm also just route. saying with a little bit more urgency. Don't you fucking do that to old man Edgar. Yeah. Not here at Madison square garden. If he is telling you, if he's, if he's trying to actually have one of these nice moments that are so hard to come by in fight sports where somebody is going to say this one, this is it. I'm not going to hang around too long. I'm going to get out at a decent time. Anderson Silva could have maybe had one of those moments, but afterwards, you know, the UFC put him in a fight, got him knocked out, and then said, oh, it was terrible. We never should have made that fight. It was shame on us for for doing that. You know, sent him out the door with kind of this scorn and shame uh, to go live his best life as a boxer and then talk about how shitty it was that they treated him like that. Don't do that here. Don't do it. Just yeah. give give him a sensible fight that he could conceivably win, and let's actually like give somebody one of those nice send-offs rather than just cannibalizing them for parts. I'm just saying.
0: Just saying. Until he wins, and then he's like, I got five fights left in me. <laughs> I, I could feel it. Uh, ben, did you see we got something on the books here? UFC 280. We're going to do uh, Islam Mahachev against uh, Chucky e. Olives for what yep. is officially The Vacant. Lightweight title? Got I did the, see
1: that. I also saw Dana White saying that, that uh, uh, Chucky Yellows will get his pay-per-view points, however, so we're not, we're not totally screwing him over.
0: Got it on the books, which is exciting. Going to be a good fight. Going to be a good lightweight title fight. Then you see UFC 280 taking place over there in Abu Dhabi, and I think, mm-hmm. well... We're going pretty hard on trying to turn somebody into the new Habib, are we not? (laughs) Just sort of like, we know where Habib had his last two career fights, Abu Dhabi. Now we got this new guy, Islam Mahachev, sort of seems like uh, trying to do the same thing, going pretty hard and uh, trying to make Islam Mahachev the new Habib. I'm just saying, I'm just saying.
1: I'm just saying maybe is that how Charles Oliver makes sure that he still gets his pay-per-view points uh, is that the UFC comes in and say, hey, we want you to do this vacant lightweight title fight uh, and we want you to do it against Islamahachev and we want you to do it over there in Abu Dhabi. And he says, OK, but at least when it comes to the paycheck, you better treat me like the fucking champion or I'm not going over there. And then the UFC says, well, OK,
0: I mean, couldn't we just let him be the first Islam? Why does he have to be the new Habib? Just saying. They just just want to come out the mouth of the Cobra, man, on the water slide. Go to Ferrari World. That's universal. Everyone wants to do that. Yeah, That's going to do it for the Co-Main Event Podcast this week. Uh, We'll be back on the Patreon page all week. Check us out. Patreon.com slash Co-Main Event. Have the Wednesday live chat, Thursday doing the damn thing, and the Friday Power Hour. Don't forget to check us out right here next week. We will be looking ahead to UFC. 277 that is the uh the juliana pena amanda nunez rematch coming to you from dallas texas with brandon moreno and kai Kara france in the interim ufc men's flyweight championship fight as the co-main we'll be talking about it on monday uh as for now thanks for listening everybody we are done we are through we are out <laughs>
1: You know, I, I feel like i got to ask that used car you bought from Daniel Cormier's lot. Uh, yeah. Did you take it to a licensed mechanic to have a look at it first?
0: You know, it makes a little bit of a strange sound when you first crank it on. And while you're shifting gears, it has kind of a grinding, groaning, sometimes uh, sounds like some banging down there. But uh, I think it's a good car. Daniel, Daniel Cormier vouched for it. He said that, uh, that it had some miles on it, but it was still a, a workhorse. Still going to be good to go for years and years.
1: Uh, how many times did he did he slap the the roof of the car as he was telling you of what a sturdy, solid, reliable vehicle this is?
0: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to find out that like when he was in college, Daniel you know, Cormier had actually spent some time on the lot, right? Like just uh, trying to make a little extra cash and you know, walking around money. Maybe he worked at a out of the car a lot. Wouldn't surprise me to find that out.
1: Hey, what brings you guys down here to Daniel Cormier Honda?